In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I had a professor at once who was also a Presbyterian pastor. He made the point in class that he did not preach about judgment or hell because he thought it was better to love people into the kingdom. I understood and partly agreed with his point. The hellfire and damnation sermon doesn't convert very many people, chiefly because the fear it plants in the hearts of the hearers doesn't last very long. Nonetheless, there is a necessary balance to the gospel. To be saved by Jesus is to be saved from something, and it is uh, significant or important to have some sense of what that something is if we're to appreciate and understand our salvation at all. You can't have real good news unless it is an answer to some real bad news. Moreover, the major heresies and errors of the church are rooted in an overemphasis on one aspect of truth without regard to other aspects of truth that provide the full picture. Heresies and errors are attractive precisely because they are partly true, just as what the serpent said to Eve was partly true. Today's gospel is one of the most poignant scenes in all of the Bible. It takes place just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem to suffer and die because his own people are about to reject him. As St. John says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The good news of salvation will be rejected, which means that the bad news of judgment will become a reality. And Jesus describes that reality in this way, quote, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. St. Luke tells us that Jesus wept, over Jerusalem, saying, if you had only known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for peace. This weeping was not just a couple of silent tears. Middle Easterners don't weep the way Northern Europeans do. Jesus broke down in loud lamentation and mourning as he realized the consequences of his people's rejection of him. The judgment of his people pierced the heart of God because it could have been avoided by true and earnest repentance, but his people would not have it. Jesus' description of the siege of Jerusalem is a prophecy about events that took place in the year A.D. 70. 
the Roman legions, led by the general Titus, besieged Jerusalem, starved out the inhabitants, invaded the city, burnt it and the temple to the ground, and killed most of the people. The historian Josephus says that a million people died in the attack. It was a catastrophic end to the nation of Israel and the Old Covenant. And it wasn't an Israel from that time until 1948. This event is the missing piece in most people's understanding of the New Testament. Many people draw a false contrast between the supposedly vengeful God of the Old Testament and the loving Jesus that we see in the New Testament. The judgment that came on Jerusalem within a generation of Jesus' ministry teaches us that the Old Testament or the New Testament is entirely consistent with the Old Testament. Jesus came to Israel as a prophet, calling the nation to repent, just like the prophets of the Old Testament. When the nation did not repent, there was judgment, just like there was in the Old Testament. Israel's refusal to repent did not only mean that the people would be judged on the last day, it also meant that they experienced actual consequences in history in the first century. The early church in Jerusalem was warned by prophets to flee from the city before the Romans came. The Jerusalem Christians crossed the Jordan River and escaped the Roman hammer blow. Thus, the early church in Jerusalem was not just saved from the future eternal judgment. It was also saved from the judgment that came upon Israel in the first century. When God speaks, calling people to repent, believe, and change, there are only two possible responses. Either we repent, believe, and change and experience God's salvation, or else we remain subject in time and eternity to the consequences of disobedience. There is no neutral third option. Once the word was made flesh, once Jesus spoke to Israel, the moment had arrived for either salvation or judgment. Once Jesus speaks to us so that we hear and understand what God wants of us, the moment for salvation or judgment comes to us as well. Jesus lamented that Israel did not know the things that make for peace. Peace is a covenant word. God promised Israel peace through his covenant relationship with the nation. If the people were faithful to the covenant, they would experience God's peace. However, instead of pursuing peace with God, Israel developed a habit of seeking peace through political, religious, 
and personal compromise. The result was that they failed to experience peace with God in a lasting way. Peace is still the promise of the new covenant. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Our liturgy ends with the blessing of peace. That blessing results from our union with God. When we are reconciled to God by repentance and faith through the cross, we experience God's peace. When we live the life of prayer and are faithful to Christ in daily life, we continue to experience the peace of God. Like Israel, we are constantly offered different terms of peace by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Compromise what you believe, we are told, and avoid the battle against sin. Don't stand up for what is right. Be quiet and avoid trouble. Do what you must to get by. Keep your faith as a private thing, tucked away in your heart. And don't rock the boat. The voice of temptation always presents a half-truth. It promises us a temporary fleeting peace at the expense of the enduring peace of God that passes all understanding. The voice of compromise has reigned in the church and our culture in the last generation. And all the churches that have listened to that voice have experienced judgment in some form. I still agree that it is preferable to love people into the kingdom. We cannot actually know God until we experience his grace and love for us in spite of our sins. In fact, we cannot really know God until we experience his grace and love for us over long periods of time. God is gracious and merciful, long-suffering, slow to anger and of great kindness. He is patient with us in our struggles against sin. But he is not patient with our willful disobedience or with our lukewarm response to his love. There are consequences in time and eternity for refusing to do what God says to do, for responding to the cross with indifference or ingratitude. Jesus comes to us as he came to Jerusalem. He speaks to the church and to each one of us, calling us to repentance, to faith, and to faithfulness. Let us make sure that we know the time of our visitation. Let us make sure that we understand and practice the things that make for peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.